All right, Trinity Church. So glad you're here today. I want to welcome you. This is the final segment of our series called Road Trip. Uh, is your family headed in God's direction? And we have been looking week by week at different topics that relate to what that journey looks like and hopefully better equipping you for it. So we're so glad you're here today, especially if you're a guest, we want to welcome you here. And thanks for putting up with our zaniness with Lego commercials. I think that's pretty great. Um, but we will we'll move on to a new uh, kind of format going into next week in a brand new summer series. So excited for that. I didn't know if you knew, but actually word of our series has gone pretty big. My friend Bill brought this today. Actually, the L.A. Times is beginning to cover us. And um, huge. So just so you know, you know, the Trinity Church making an impact, right? Making an impact. Well, we want to uh, keep moving today. You have a worship folder. If you want to get out some stuff, you have uh, notes that look like this. want to have those handy, and in just a second, we can dive in. As you're doing that, look down at your shoes and recognize that what's underneath them is new. We have new carpeting in here. And um, for those of you who tend to sit in the same seat every week, it's going to throw you off because that big coffee stain that was there before, you're not going to know what to do. You're like, I don't think I'm in the right row. You know, so brand new, we're messing with you and always got to get you on the edge of something. And so we're excited. Uh, the carpet crew did such a great job. Doug did a great job working with a company. They banged it out in two days and just turned out really great. By the end of the month, we're hoping to have new chairs and then we'll just kind of complete our kind of facelift here at the worship center. And we're excited for that. So along with that, some other things I just want to catch you up on, just some kind of news of um, things going on around us. One of those is that on a, uh, last weekend, many of you were here at our family forum event. And I just wanted to thank you for coming personally, but thank you for the people you invited. What was so great was to see all the different ages of parents that were here and getting great information. But what was awesome was I bumped into five or six people who had never been to Trinity Church before. What that means is that you invited them. You said, hey, you're a parent. I know you're working through issues in your home. Why don't you come to this event? And so it was, that was like the apex of the day beyond anything anyone heard of good, helpful information was the fact that you invited people to come to this event and they came. And that's just we want to keep seeing events that we do through that lens of mission, through that lens of entry points, of introducing people, not just to Trinity Church, but obviously to Jesus. And so what a cool thing. So thank you for taking that seriously. And we know it was just a great day all the way around for those involved. We've been offering some resources all throughout this series. And uh, I have another one for you today, a final one. It is called the Smart Step Family. Let me tell you a bit about it. Basically, um, this book is the book. Literally, it is the book. And the, probably the only one that I'm aware of, but the book that I offer to anyone in a blended family, step family situation. Uh, what we did at High Desert Church when I was the family pastor, I needed resources like immediately for all kinds of things related to families. And I came across Ron Deal's book. And probably within the first year or two that I was there, we had some, um, some discussion groups. So everyone would get a book. And we come together once a week, have a discussion, about let's say five or six couples in the room at a time, and we're working through this. And I will just tell you how many times I can't remember people saying things like this, Ron must have cameras in our home because he understands what we're going through. He gets it like nobody I've ever talked to before. And so Ron is a clinical psychologist, a Christian therapist, just has had so much experience in this area. It's just truly a great book because he addresses the real issues that you face. 
So I just want to say, if you're in a blended family, a step family, if you know someone who is, this is a great tool. And along with that, what we've done is every week that we have put out some different resources, again, there's no kickback for this. We're just trying to give you a good direction in that with, with family-related series. This resource list is at the Welcome Center today, and it has a list of every resource we've recommended during the series. So if you just want that all in one place, that's an easy way to find it. Um, look inside your notes, if you would, and, and in there weekly, this will be the last time we see this for at least this series, you'll notice that table talk question, why is forgiving so hard to do again and again in our family? And that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about forgiveness. And I know that as soon as I even say the word, I know that some backs stiffen. Because we're in it. I mean, I was processing that this week. We're not just talking today about generic forgiveness. We're not just saying the importance of in our relationships, how important it is to forgive, even though that's true. We're saying that in the midst of the relationships that you do life with, in the midst of the relationships that have undoubtedly hurt you the most, think about that. And when I was processing this week, I was thinking about all the different types of forgiveness types of moments, both receiving it and giving it. And I realized that the overwhelming dominant group of people I have sought forgiveness from and in, in turn given it to have been members of my family. The family I grew up in, the family I'm living in now, the family that someday I'm going to continue to foster. That's an amazing thing to stop and think about. We said it last week related to communication that there's no one in our lives we will hurt the most than the people that we love the most. It is incredibly sad, but incredibly true. And today, as we dive into this topic, while I realize this is going to surface some wounds, I get that. I, that's why I do so very cautiously. But I want to give you hope. I want to give you hope because I want you to see this, that forgiveness has some different layers to it, different pieces to it, but one piece of forgiveness you absolutely get to control. It is under your purview. You have the opportunity to do something related to forgiveness that no one else, regardless of what they do, it's something that's still something you actually get to engage or not. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today. So we're going there. We're going to look at some tough stuff. There are Kleenex at the end of every aisle. There's not, but there should be. And I realize that. And, um, and let, me, let me stop talking and dial in. Here's the big idea. Forgiveness is best understood by kids, our children, when they know that God promises to forgive them. To forgive them when they ask as well as when they experience forgiveness and see it modeled by their parents. Our lack of forgiveness in our families abound. There's a Spanish story of a father and son who became estranged. The son ran away and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in the last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos. 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their dads. This is a huge topic. Very, very important and essential. 
I love this quote. When you forgive, it's in your notes. When you forgive, you in no way change the past. Let's start with that today. We realize that. We in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. And I want you to grab onto that today because what's going to be so challenging as we look at this topic for some of us, you are so just already stopped. Just the initial words that I'm saying, forgiveness in your family, you don't know anywhere else to go. And here's the problem. If you are so stuck in the past, then what's going to happen is you won't be able to move forward in the future. And the people that you actually need to seek forgiveness from, even now, you're unable to because you can't get rid of the burden hanging on your shoulders. That's why this topic is so important. If we are to be a people who are going to be rooted and reaching into our worlds, we have to get this topic of forgiveness. We have to engage this topic of forgiveness well. And when we do, we will model well who God is. Here's our now what statement today. Recognize your need to regularly receive forgiveness and commit to extend it generously and often to others. Number one in your notes, forgiveness in your family is not if, but when. Forgiveness in your family is not if, but when. I'll explain the comment in just a second, but I wanted to show you a clip today. Um, As a dad, I have a son and three daughters. As a dad of daughters, I have seen every Cinderella movie ever made. (laughs) And I will continue to see every Cinderella movie made in the future. That's just what we do. That's what dads and daughters do. So I remember of watching all the Cinderella movies. There was one that came out a couple years ago, 2015. Disney put it out, live action. My girls had to go. We showed up. It was a very typical Cinderella movie. And I'm going to tell you right now, in just moments from now, I'm going to wreck the plot for you. If you've not seen this movie, you had two years, okay? (laughs) I did not feel bad. Okay? Two years, it's on you. But here's how things are going. The movie's very typical Cinderella story, cast in a great way. And then as we get to the end, we get to the scene that of all the other Cinderella movies, they typically end the same way, except for this one. It ends this way. Take a look. Now, you know, you know the story and you know all the horrible things that her stepmother, but just by the way, doesn't help that we have characters in movies that are evil stepmothers. Okay. It doesn't help this problem a bit. 
We keep perpetuating that in Hollywood. Then her evil stepmother, you know. But that's the storyline, obviously, of Cinderella. This, this stepmother just consistently tearing apart her future, keeping her from doing anything but thriving. And at the end, most Cinderella movies end with, you'll get yours. You've been horrible to me this whole season of why you've been my stepmom. Now you'll get yours. But this one ended differently. And I remember sitting there in the theater with my girls and going, now wait a second. They're on to something. You'll notice even the tenor of the music changed. Everything changed when she was able to say, watch, I forgive you. And walk out the door. That's the peace. I want you to hear this clearly today. That's the peace you own. That's the peace you are responsible for. You get to control. You can't make other people forgive you. But you get to choose if you're willing to forgive someone else. Let's unpack that word today. And as we do, I think it'll make a little bit more sense. What are we saying when we say that? Let's begin with the text. Colossians, by the way. I should have told you to open your Bible to. My bad. Colossians chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It keeps coming up, that go eat popcorn thing. If you find one of those four books, it's a letter in the New Testament, about seven or eight, nine books in, you'll find that. Colossians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, look at the screen. Verse 13, watch this. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I know that our, ta- our point was forgiveness in your family is not an if but a when. Well, this said if. If any of you has a grievance. Paul's writing to a local church, a local church at Colossae. And as he's writing to them, a group of believers, he knew that they would struggle with this. But this, as we're talking today, we're talking about in your nuclear family, under your roof, we know it's not if, we know it's when. When there's a conflict, when there's a thing that needs to be forgiven, be ready to forgive. Here's a couple things I want to agree on at the very beginning today. Number one, forgiveness is a hard thing to do. Let's just agree on that from the very beginning. Number two, talking about forgiveness is a lot easier than doing it. Let's also agree to that. Talking about forgiveness is a whole lot easier than doing it. So what's our purpose today? What are we trying to do? Today's not about talking about forgiving, but developing a strategy. Developing a personal strategy and developing an atmosphere, an ethos within your home that fosters forgiveness one to another. It becomes the foundation of how you work. So let's begin by defining the terms. When we say the word forgive, what do we mean? The English word has um, a kind of a a wide semantic domain, like a lot of a range of different definitions. But this is probably the easiest way to define the English word forgive. It means to cancel all indebtedness. That's pretty good. Forgiveness, to cancel all indebtedness. So it means this, if you owe me, okay, if if you've done something to, to violate, to trespass me, then for me to forgive you, for me to say I forgive you means this. It means that I cancel that debt. It doesn't mean that I put you on a payment plan. That's not forgiveness. It doesn't mean that I take your debt and reduce it by a third. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is at the bottom of the ledger, I put a zero. Whether that's truly a financial debt you owe me or whether that's a relational debt, either way, to cancel all forgiveness is the word forgive. I think I just said to cancel all forgiveness is to forgive, didn't I? Yeah, that's not what I meant. To cancel all debt is to forgive. The language of the New Testament conveys the same idea. You'll see it in your notes. Ephemi. It's around 150 times in the New Testament. And it, when it's translated, it means to forgive. And, it, and the basic concept is to send away. 
to send away. Now, when you hear that, at first you might go, oh, that's what I wanted. I want to send that person away and never see them again. (laughs) That's awesome. If that's what forgiveness is, I'm in. You violate me, you're done. You're gone. It doesn't mean that at all. It means this. You violate me, you trespass against me, and whatever that is, whatever the trespass, whatever the issue, that's what we send away. To send away the debt in between you and me, that's what the word forgive means. Apoluo is another Greek word translated forgive. It generally means to free fully or to release. To release. Some of you are fishermen, fisherwomen, and then when you catch a fish, isn't that interesting? You're forgiving it when you let it go back. It's kind of an interesting concept, to release back. And some of you taught, I have no idea what you're talking about. I eat everything I catch. That's fine, that's fine. And then another word that I think is powerful, another Greek word translated in our English Bible is forgive, is karitsomai. Karitsomai, and it means to kindly pardon or rescue. And yes, you saw the front end of that word looks a lot like another word you know. It looks like the word charis. And charis so easily translated as the word grace. Isn't that interesting? That part of the idea of forgiveness is bound in the concept of grace. Giving people what they don't deserve. That's the power of this word. So between the Greek and English distinctions of this word to forgive, we come away with a very rich, a very thick understanding of what God says when he commands us to. And by the way, back up in Colossians chapter 3, it was not a suggestion. Forgive as the Lord forgave you is an imperative verb, a command. You are called to do such. And by the way, not just with the person sitting across this auditorium, not just with the person you might have in a Bible study group, the church, that's awesome. The person's under your roof. The people you do life with more than anyone else, that's the group of people today we're zeroing in on that forgiveness must be fostered. It must be developed and grown in your family if it's going to happen, if it's going to be the family God intended you to be. So what do we do? What, why, when we understand that forgiveness is going to be necessary and we're commanded to do this to one another, why is it so hard? What's the problem? Here's the problem. You have a fascination with fairness. You have a fascination with fairness. Because watch this today. To forgive is to be unfair. It's that simple. To forgive is to be unfair. I'll never forget. Joanna and I on a missions trip in Germany, we go to the beautiful land of the Netherlands to do a missions, uh, like a, a, not a missions, but a, a youth group trip. How great is that? Students here today, how great would that be? We're going to go to the Netherlands to a water park for the weekend. That's just tough, right? It's hard, hard to do that. You guys would be in favor? Okay. Next month, we'll do it, okay? So here we are, and away from Germany, the Netherlands. I'll never forget, we're, we're, on a, we're on public transportation. We've got a group of maybe, let's say, 20 junior hires, middle schoolers. And as we're getting off this bus, I'm sitting in a row, and there's two girls in front of me. And as they're getting up, the one girl gets up, and just I was watching the whole thing, just kind of swings her elbow and smacks the other girl across the chin. Totally un, not, not at all intentional. Just was getting up to get a bag or something, and she smacks the girl. And the girl's like, ow! And the girl, as soon as she did it, I am so sorry. The other girl goes into a rage. I'm right behind her, and I'm going, I'm going to deal with a middle school girl fight. <laughs> this is awesome. Really, really great, really great. So I immediately just kind of hold on to one girl, like, hold on. Don't freak out. Stop it. You know, and I tell the other girl, go, go quick, go away. 
So I get her off the bus. I kind of restrain the other girl, get her off. I'll never forget. She gets outside the bus. She's looking at me, and I talk to her. Hey, I saw the whole thing. The other girl didn't mean to hit you. It was unintentional. She's listening to me. She's nodding, and this is what she says. I'm going after her like five, six, seven minutes trying to do this explanation. I'm like, are we okay then? This is what she says. She looks me in the eye, and she says, when do I get my turn to hit her back? Now watch this. That was absolutely fair. You hit me, I hit you, we're done. You hit me, I cancel the debt, I forgive you, and we're done. You see that? Forgiveness is absolutely unfair. It does not mathematically make sense. It's not meant to. Our family becomes this amazing laboratory when we begin to understand what it means for a holy God to say, I forgive you even when it's not fair. Because we do this one to another. We are not ever standing in a position of holiness, but we begin to taste a little bit of the reality of what it means to offer someone pardon, to set something away when we forgive one another. When you, it's a fascinating thing. You've seen this happen in your own life. How many times when you've been on the receiving end of pain, when you've been the one who's been offended, uh, been offended how many times are you this amazing champion for justice? Amazing champion for things ought to be taken care of and made right. And then when you're the one who's the offender, you're the one who's blown it, you've trespassed, it's amazing how interested you are in mercy. Seriously, it could be the same exact issue. When you're the offender, yeah, when you're the offender, oh, please, mercy. When you're the offended, justice. Everything's the same except you've switched seats. That's our problem. We actually don't have a fascination with fairness. We just have a fascination with us. And if we can begin to process this whole thing and say, God, My problem is, is that I always want my pound of flesh. When people violate me, especially the ones underneath my roof, I always want to somehow get what I need out of it. And I promise you, the more you keep living, the more you keep driving in that rut in your life, the more you are never going to know the power of not only being forgiven, but being able to forgive and to let those weights go. I said to someone the other day, you can be right or you can be married. (laughs) Just think about that. By lunch, you'll get that, okay? You'll get that. I say it this way today on this subject. You can demand fairness or you can live in a family. You don't get both. You get to choose. Number two in your notes today. Forgiveness is essential if you expect to redeem failure in your family. Forgiveness is essential if you expect to redeem failure in your family. You see, today's topic is not just about forgiveness. It's about redeeming failure. Failure, we're going to use this kind of working definition today. It's when I fall short of something. 
I fall short of what you called me to do, asked me to do, would expect me to do in a right understanding. And in that process, I have failed you. It doesn't mean I wear this dunce hat with the big letter F, failure all around my life, but it means interpersonally, in our relationship, I have failed you at this point. And that happens all the time. Please do not think of today's message as this real big epic issue that once happened in your life. This is happening every day especially in relationship to the people underneath the roof you live under. What I want to encourage you with today is that the failures in your family are not final. The failures in your family are not final. They can be redeemed. They can be forgiven. And you can move forward as a group, as a unit. And what I want you to hear is the great kingdom things. I mean, think of it this way. When's the last time that you heard a story or went to a movie and and this was the plot line? Here's a group of people, and they start out, and everything's pretty good chemistry. Everything's going well. And as you go through the story, as you go through the movie, things are, are, are great, and they're doing well. And, and then as they keep going on, and then the, the credits show up, and then you walk out. Well, you wouldn't know how it finished because you fell asleep at 10 minutes. Because you're like, what's the point of this? Watch this. Every good story is full of tension. Every good story is about something that goes south that needs to be redeemed. God is writing a good story in your family. And therefore, it's going to have tension. Therefore, there are going to be things that need to be redeemed. And that's not me saying God is bringing the tension. God's bringing the failures. We're just being us. We're a group of people who consistently do this to one another. God has no part of our failures in terms of him willing it. It's simply us living out a nature that is not fully in his hand yet. So as a result, there's forgiveness that needs to be a part of the equation. As we define the word forgive in a minute ago, let me forgive the other terms of redeem and failure. In your notes, to redeem is to change for the better, to repair, or to restore. That's not really a theological definition. It's just kind of Webster's, but it'll work for today. It's to change for the better, to repair or restore. And the word failure can be described as falling short of what is required or due. Falling short of what is required or due. So look at the role of forgiveness in redeeming failure in your family. Look at this sequence. It's in your notes. Repairing what fell short by canceling all indebtedness. We repair what fell short by canceling all indebtedness. That's how these three elements of redeeming Failure and forgiveness work together. We repair what fell short by canceling all indebtedness. Every family is going to, it's what we said before, it's not if but when, going to experience failures towards each other. Spouses fail one another. Kids fail their parents. Parents fail their kids. Siblings fail each other. Grandparents, aunts and uncles fit in the mix too. We keep failing each other, but it's not so much what happens like, oh my goodness, how could anyone fail each other? It's what do we do when we have failed one another? What are the steps? What does it mean when God says, forgive as the Lord forgave you? When you fail one another, here are the options you stand in front of it. To me, it looks like really one of these three. There's not a lot of other choices. Number one option is this. You can hold the debt over the person who has failed you, hold it over their head, and let it boil into bitterness in your life. And it will. If you keep holding that debt over their head, here's the interesting thing. You think you are being so like um, punishing to them, but you're the one who's being punished. 
because bitterness is wrapping its tentacles around your heart. That's not going to go well. Another thing you can do when someone fails you, you can ignore it. You can ignore it and act like it never happened and move on hoping it never becomes an issue later on. And you're absolutely going to be wrong because it's going to come back. Ignored failures today become tomorrow's heartaches. It's that simple. They always resurface. They always come back. And the interesting thing is where you might say you're kind of maybe today here, you're one of the peacemakers, right? You're like, I just want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to get along. I want that. And that's not a bad thing to want. But the more that you live that way, the more that you try to impress that on a family who fails each other, the more all you're doing is squishing down the hurt and the pain that's going to volcanically blow up later on. We have to deal. We have to find a way to foster forgiveness in our homes. And that's the third option you have. You can deal with failure. You can foster forgiveness and work toward rebuilding trust and becoming reconciled to each other. I want to say something important right now, so I want to make sure you listen. Some of you, when I've said today the idea of forgiveness, especially when you heard it related to you, like meaning you need to forgive, one of the reasons you stiffened up is that you have made a major flaw in your understanding of forgiveness. You have united the term and the idea of forgiveness with the idea of trust. If you've never heard this before, I want you to hear it today. Forgiveness and trust are not the same things. Forgiveness and trust are not the same things. Here's how this works out. This is how it played out. For those of us who've been through high school and beyond, it played out this way. You had a midnight curfew with your parents. And you stumbled in at 2 a.m. As you did, your mom was sitting there in the chair. You've been snagged, okay? She's well aware of the time. She's been sitting up worried to death about you. And as you guys have this interaction, you could very rightly say, Mom, I totally blew it. I totally just kind of blew off the idea of how important a curfew was. I came in two hours late. Would you forgive me? If your mom... According to what we've read and according to what we'll keep talking about today, your answer should be, yes, I forgive you. And it's that 17-year-old's next statement that then creates the problem. It's when that person stumbling in at 2 a.m. says, would you forgive me? You say yes, and you go, aha, awesome. So we're good? And starts walking to their bedroom. (laughs) No, we're not good. Because that relationship, like every relationship you have, is built on trust. And when you have an authority figure in a home who said, our curfew is midnight, you're coming in at two, you've broken the trust. And guess what? Forgiveness is on you to give when someone asks you, but it's on them. Trust is on them to build in the future. To say I forgive you does not wipe away the past and say instantly I have to rebuild. You have now rebuilt trust with me. To forgive you says, I forgive you, and if you are interested in rebuilding trust, let's watch. Some of you refuse to forgive because you have conjoined the terms, and they are very different. Forgiveness happens now. Trust comes with time. You have to separate them. I want to give you today six steps that I think are absolutely essential to be able to foster forgiveness and redeem failures in your home. And as you do, six might sound like a lot, but they actually become actually a culture in your home when you begin to do them. In your notes, number one, confrontation. Confrontation in terms of clarifying who has failed at what. 
There has to be some sense. And by the way, some of you in the room, you're like um, watering at the mouth right now. Like, I love it. Bring it. I love to tell people they're wrong. You know, this is just the way you're wired. Like confrontation is no problem for you. The other 99% of us, we hate it. That's fine. It doesn't matter if confrontation comes easy or not. This is an essential piece because if you're not going to name it, if you're not going to say this is what the problem was, this is what happened, there's nothing you can fix if there's not clarity of what it is. So loving confrontation has to happen. Number two, admission. Admission by the offender that such a failure occurred. Each of these six steps, by the way, is the gateway into the next. If you don't get past the first, you'll never get to the second, never get to the third. They all have to be traveled through in sequence. First, there's a confrontation. There's a problem. Second, there's an admission of guilt. You're right. I blew it. I failed you in this way. That has to be acknowledged. If you both point out the issue and someone says, and I take responsibility, good things can happen moving forward. If you as two individuals won't do that, nothing can happen moving forward. Number three, forgiveness sought by the offender. Forgiveness sought by the offender. Let me, let me tell you something that radically changed this dynamic in our home. It's probably six or seven years ago, my friend Jack Hamilton went to a conference and he came back and he said, you know, Todd, I'm going to stop telling people I'm sorry. And I heard that and I thought, wow, have you just arrived? I mean, what's that all about? This is awesome. I'm not going to do anything wrong either, Jack. We'll be great, you know. And he said, no, no, it's not that. It's not that I'm not going to fail people. But he said this, I'm going to stop telling people I'm sorry. I'm going to start asking for them to forgive me. Do you see the difference? Have you ever thought about this, that the word sorry looks a lot like the word sorrow? And there's a value to that. I feel badly for what I've done to you. But guess what? When there's a debt in the way, the other person, it's fine if you feel bad. They care more about do you recognize it and are you asking for my forgiveness? I'm going to worry less about saying I'm sorry. I'm going to worry a lot more about saying would you please forgive me. Forgiveness is sought. Number four, forgiveness is granted. Forgiveness is granted by the offended. And I know this is a challenge. This is huge. It's, it's now living unfairly. Unfair would be you get your whack. Fair would be the idea that now you get your pound of flesh. Unfair says, you've asked me to forgive you. I say, because how I've been forgiven, yes. Number five, restoration of the relationship evidenced by both parties being able to lovingly move forward together. There is a restoration. There is something powerful by both the one hand, the person who needed forgiveness being given it, receiving it. It changes something about you when you realize, I owe them a debt. They put a zero. They didn't put me on a payment plan. They didn't put me on some reduced debt. They put a zero at the bottom of the column. That does something to a person. I owed them and they put a zero. Conversely, it does something to you. It is something to you when you forgive someone because you know for at least a taste in a moment how it is that God relates to you. He's unfair. He gives you something you didn't deserve. He doesn't give you what you do deserve. Grace and mercy in hand. And restoration can begin to take place in that relationship. Finally, number six, lessons learned. Lessons learned and applied to future decisions and circumstances that family members face. Here's what I'm saying by that. 
when, when something happens within your family, because you live under the same roof, very rarely is it just known between two of you, right? When your mom asked you to take out the trash and you yelled back at her, when I feel like it, everyone else in the room heard it too. So it's kind of hard to have a lot of isolated things that no one but you and the other person know about. That's the nature of living under the same roof. So within that, here's what happens. Even though the the problem is only between two people, everyone else has been an audience to it. And as those two people will go through this process of seeking forgiveness, of, of fostering it between themselves, one giving, one receiving, and those lessons now of forgiveness and actually the actual grievance at the beginning, they become part of your family culture. You begin to say, hey, you know what? We're learning lessons as we're watching what each other does. Some of them are negative lessons. Don't repeat that. Others of them are positive. But either way, they're showered with forgiveness. And they become touch points where your family brings them up again, not to shame anyone, but to say, hey, let's as a group learn this lesson. I was all ready today to share an illustration of uh, my son's failure. It's always nice to talk about your kids. Um, when he was a kid, uh, it's, a, it's one of our family lessons about Pokemon cards. I'll tell you another day. But irony of all ironies, maybe not the most ironic, but ironic to me. Last weekend, I'm teaching on communication. And... Um, as I am, the, the, tup- the sub-point was not just what you say, but what you fail to say. And I used an illustration about the idea of multiple things. Maybe you're out with the guys and you tell them three of the five places you went, stuff like that. And I made a crack about the idea that maybe you only show your husband three of the seven receipts from the shopping venture. And in this service, I made some crack about the fact that I know that from experience. Suffice it to say that it deeply hurt my wife. Can I tell you something? The thing you wouldn't know. We were doing the math this week. It was a year ago today that I was candidating the second Sunday. It's been a year. And in the time together, there are a lot of things about Joanna you don't know. But I can tell you, rest assuredly, one of them you should know and you'll get to know. She is a woman of her word. And I felt horrible. It was something that some of you didn't pick up on and others of you did and didn't even care about because maybe that's just the culture in your home. That's not the way my wife rolls. And, and later on this week, as we went through this process, I was going to use this by way of illustration, we went through these six steps. She would say multiple times later this week, Todd, I'm a lot of things. <laughs> that's not the problem. But that's one thing I'm not. I don't lie to you. She hasn't, ever. So, a public offense needs a public apology. My wife's not even here in this service. She's helping a family friend marry off their daughter today. But I asked her permission if I could share with you, because I wanted at least you to know that I blew it. And that I want to also let you know that I went through these six steps with her. This is how it went down. I come off the stage. I come back and sit with my wife for the last song. I walk up to her, and there's something about the physical presence that you know something's not right. Husbands, if you don't know this, you need to go back to husband school, okay? (laughs) 
And I lean over to my wife and I say, how you doing? She's like, not good. I said, what do you mean? And she said, you threw me under the bus. I don't lie to you. And I knew exactly what she was talking about. Guess what? She confronted the problem. Within no time, I admitted to the problem. You're right. You don't lie to me. And even if you did, this is the worst place on the world to bring that up in front of hundreds of people. I'm, I'm, I really am sorry. And so in that sequence, in that moment, and throughout the rest of that day, we would have good conversation. And I asked for her forgiveness. And without her taking me, like, you know, that whole phrase, you know, he's going to be on the couch or he's going to be sleeping in the doghouse, none of that. She was able to say, Todd, I forgive you. And we walked through that throughout the day last Sunday. And at the end of that time, we kind of reflected upon the idea of forgiveness has been asked, forgiveness has been given. And, and now there's this sense of restoration. And guess what? I want you to hear really clearly from me today. My wife said so clearly last week, Todd, I forgive you. It just stings a little. You know what sometimes your problem is, my problem is, when we hurt someone else, we want them to be okay very quickly. Sometimes they can forgive us, but it just stings a little. Let it heal. You don't have to doggedly be out, I thought you said you forgave me. No, let it heal. Just let it heal. And guess what? We have a lesson learned in our home. And interestingly enough, in front of our church family, <laughs> which I would have liked to avoid, but there it is. Now, I say this, this. I say this, that generally speaking, those kinds of things happen all the time in your home and mine. Maybe not in front of hundreds of people, but they happen all the time. That's why we have to keep going to each other all the time. Ephesians 4.26, a verse that we read and, and really got a lot of in our Ephesians series. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal now. Deal today. Keep short accounts. Number three in your notes today. You can forgive because of what you've been forgiven. You can forgive because of what you've been forgiven. Look at that last line again. Forgive as the Lord forgave you from Colossians chapter 3. You see, God gets to command, gets to direct us to forgive one another because of what he's done in forgiving us in the first place. God is not some cosmic being who sits on a throne completely removed from you and me and just barks orders. He entered into our world and there was a rift, there was a problem, and he solved it with his son on a cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, a verse you know, God demonstrates, he shows his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we had still failed him, while there was still a problem in the relationship, not once we fixed it, Christ died for us. God himself, though violated, provides the means for which forgiveness can happen. He goes out ahead, not as the offender, but as the offended one, and creates a way for us to be right. I love this verse. We, we quote it often, but I don't think we really know what it means or, or live what it means. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will what? Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what happens when you read that verse, but here's what you ought to read. It's a promise. God forgives when you ask. 
God forgives when you confess, when you say, God, I've blown it. God says, you can already know preloaded, I'm going to say, I forgive you. That should do something to you related to confidence, related to, I know I can always come to him. Moms and dads in the room, what would it look like if we fostered forgiveness in our homes and our kids could always say that? I've blown it, big or small, but here's one thing I know, I can always come to her. I can always come to him. This is the character of God. This is the example of God in your life and in my life. And the thing that we need to grab hold of if we are going to live out not only our mission as it relates to our relational world, but where our relational world lives under our own roof, fostering forgiveness. I love this quote. We are most like beasts when we kill, most like men when we judge, and most like God when we forgive. I want to encourage you this week, be most like God this week as you begin to foster forgiveness in your homes. Here's our now what statement. Recognize your need to regularly exercise or receive forgiveness and commit to extend it generously and often to others. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who are in desperate need of forgiveness. And maybe that's sometimes our biggest problem is that we think that we have so many people who owe us that we forget about what we owe you and what we owe others. God, help us look more in the mirror, less out the window. Help us be a people who recognize how absolutely essential forgiveness is to the, the, the everyday working of our families, how much we need forgiveness and how much we need to extend it. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Todd, this whole forgiveness is unfair. It absolutely is. And one of the things I realize is the, that I know I'm stuck related to forgiving others. And I really believe that a part of that is the fact that I don't know what it means to be. I don't know what it means to experience being forgiven by God. I want to tell you I have great news for you today. It begins with a response, a response of admitting admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior, admitting that you have failed God. And when you admit that, you simply admit you're a part of the human race. B is believe. Believe that this Jesus we talked about, the avenue, the mechanism of our forgiveness, he lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe he is the atoning sacrifice for your sin. And C is choose. Jesus left for us an example in the way he lived. He said, be my disciple, follow in my dust, walk behind me. I've set you a course. Choose means I'm gonna follow Jesus and live his pattern. You can make that choice right here, right now. And the great news is, if you would, we're about to engage this amazing demonstration of communion. And you would be taking communion rightly for the first time, recognizing how great a Savior who has made this offer to you. So, Father, we love you. We say thank you for being 
such a forgiving God. Help us to be such a forgiving family. And we pray in your amazing name. Amen. We couldn't think of a better week to engage communion than on a day when we're talking about forgiveness. And mark this, I know, I know forgiving debts in your family are so hard. Many times because of even family origins, where you came from, stuff that never got dealt with, and now you're bringing that baggage into the family you're raising, all kinds of issues. But let me just make this clear. Like it says in Colossians 3, you can forgive because of what you've been forgiven. And the mechanism of forgiveness is the cross. The mechanism of forgiveness is the body of Jesus and his blood spilt out for you. And that's why we celebrate. We celebrate Jesus' sacrifice in our stead because we can be forgiven vertically with a great and holy God, but also we can have the power now to forgive horizontally when people fail us. I encourage you today as we take these elements, Justin's gonna sing an original song that's just gonna focus your attention around the body and the blood of Jesus. Let these words just pour over you. And as I often forget, if you're here today and you need a gluten-free option, we have them in the back. Don't fail to take communion. That option's available for you. The elements are gonna come to you. Take a piece of bread, take a cup, hold on to them, and we'll take them all together.